And thus it begins. <laughs> wow. That's pretty exciting. So I think that John had some interesting tech tonight, didn't he? Strawberries he did. and tomatoes. Mm -hmm. and it's two freezing. favorite things. I, I really was intrigued by both the reports tonight, but just focusing on John's for a minute. Uh, he said that if you freeze things without freeze them, they come back better. And that's an interesting fact. That's something they've learned by research, is that if they freeze them in such a way that they don't actually turn to ice, then they recover and they're not destroyed. That fact opens up an opportunity for some engineers to go to work and change the world. I think it'd be kind of fun. Now, he didn't, he didn't tell us beforehand so we could think. So we're having to think on the spot. But there's a real opportunity here to uh, develop our engineering skills by thinking, so what could we do with that knowledge? The knowledge is that if you freeze a tomato, when you thaw it out, it's a mess. But if you put it under pressure so that it doesn't actually turn to ice, it keeps it from rotting. And then when you take the pressure off and warm it up, it comes back in good condition. That fact should give us some really big ideas. And I'd just like to, I'd like to experiment with that for a minute. First of all, why does ice expand when it forms? Most things, if you have a gas, you compress them into a liquid, it gets smaller. And then if you cool the liquid down to where it becomes a solid, it gets smaller yet. It goes into the, you know, the solid state as atoms closer together. But water is one of those very strange substances that it gets smaller and smaller as the water gets colder and colder, but then when it turns to ice, it gets big. That's strange. Why would it get bigger when it turns into a solid? And of course, the answer has to be hydrogen. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it, it happens to be one of hydrogen's magic little moves, polar molecule. But what if it didn't? It would be easier to freeze your tomatoes because they wouldn't get all messed up when you thaw them out. But... And this is an important, but you wouldn't have any tomatoes. There would be no tomatoes. If ice didn't get big when it froze, there would be no fish. A lot of things would be different. And you say, why? Remember John saying that when ice freezes, it floats to the top. When you get a glass full of water, put ice in it, the ice floats on top mm -hmm. because the ice expanded, it's got a lower density, so it floats on top. What if it was like most substances and it was more dense and it sank to the bottom? If you put little BBs inside water, they sink to the bottom. What if the ice did that? No big deal, right? Ah, it's a big deal. Because something very magical happens. When a pond or a lake freezes, the ice rises to the top so you get a layer of insulation and the very, very cold weather is kept out by that insulation. But what if the ice fell to the bottom? And then more ice would form and it would fall to the bottom. So ice would develop all the way over the bottom of the pond 
until it froze completely solid and killed all the fish. It would really mess up life on this earth, wouldn't it? So it's interesting. But get back. How do we use that? How could we do something with that breakthrough information he gave us? What are your ideas? Now get ready for some advanced logic. Oh, <laughs> okay, we're ready. I'm still thinking on I'm it. I'm getting braced. Okay, you're thinking on it? Uh-huh. <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not that one. This nope. is exactly <laughs> the way engine inventioneering often works. Mm-hmm. So what is the tech we learned? The tech we learned is that when you freeze something, the formation of the ice, which means when it turns to ice, it expands. It rips up the cell structure of these fruits. And then when it thaws out, they collapse because they're all broken and messed up. When they put them inside a container that could hold a lot of pressure, and then they froze it, but they kept increasing the pressure, it didn't freeze. It got the temperature of freezing, but it didn't ever turn to ice. Since it was at the temperature of freezing, bacteria didn't grow. That's why we freeze things to stop bacteria from growing, but it didn't expand, so it didn't break all the cell structures. So you're not really freezing it, you're just taking it to freezing temperatures. Well, there are a lot of things you can use it for. Flowers, okay, see, for one now thing. <laughs> the ideas are starting to come. Yeah. You could use it for flowers. For, how would, how fl- would you do that? You eat you the flowers? A, yeah, I, I eat some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> it figures. I do. You can eat flowers. Is this your logic? Mm-hmm. It's my logic. <laughs> okay, good. She's right. You can eat flowers. But when you make a container that holds that much pressure so it doesn't freeze at 32 degrees, that's a real heavy container. If we were to turn all the refrigerators into a pressure container like that, that'd be kind of scary. So you to open your freezer, you undo all of the bolts, and, and then you have to have a big compressor to compress the air way up to a high pressure. It's probably not practical. Mm-hmm. A good idea, and, and these researchers have shown that there's a need for it, but how would you ever build something like that? <laughs> well, what if the water wasn't water? Keep going. Yeah. Water freezes at 32 degrees. That's the temperature we need to get, but we don't want it to freeze. We need a liquid that goes to 32 degrees and stays liquid. Mm -hmm. And that could be water with some antifreeze. You put antifreeze in, put the strawberries in there, and it cools down to freezing. Doesn't freeze, pull them out, and they don't go. Of course, eat them, they are poisonous. (laughs) Little ethylene glycol. But... There are some antifreeze additives that you could put in the water that would keep it from freezing that would not be harmful to our health. Seems like the medical industry would really like this. Yes. When I, when I got my heart transplant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? That's a tease, guys. That's <laughs> a tease? <laughs> that is a tease. Is that what your logic is saying? <laughs> well, okay. Well, listen. I need, to, I need to get down to business. We have a poll going on tonight. It's a research poll. I hope a lot of people have responded. We, we asked last time if you'd please tell us 
your ideas for names of our new little community we want to build, our little village that would have these new technology homes. And we took some of the best ideas and put them up for you to vote on tonight. So if you haven't voted, please look over the names and see what you think. Who put my name down there? Did your name get put down there? Eddie? Was your name there? Yeah, it says Peugeot's idea. idea. <laughs> really? Huh. Do you want to know which one's winning, I didn't though? know. Let's see. We've got Eden Village, Villa Terena, which means Earth Village. Mm -hmm. Villa, Village for Inventioners, Leaders, Learners, and Academics. I think they're going to see it. I focus. What's that? Nothing. You want to see it? Yeah. Okay. Space Y and Eddie's. Space Edison Y was Holmes. yours. Space Y was mine? Space do, you, do you want to hear about that? <laughs> yeah, I thought we could call it Space Y. It would be one step advance from Elon Musk. <laughs> he has SpaceX. <laughs> we would have Y. Put us way ahead. Okay. So vote on that, will you please? They are. They're, okay, how are we doing so far? Um, the, you got any results? The acronym, the VILA acronym. VILA acronym, VILA? It's winning so far? VILA or VIA? Yeah, how do you, how do you v, say that? VIA, I call it. Vila? 547. 547. Okay, it's winning. 547. 547. All right, we'll keep voting and we'll, we'll get to that. But right now, we want to talk about gates. And this, this is a figure that we talked about last time. We talked about logic, computer logic. And we talked about how you have signals in and signals out, and that is how we actually build the hardware in a computer. The one I want to look at tonight is called an AND gate. AND gate. And you notice there's two inputs over here and one output. So think of this as one of those little integrated circuits like I showed you last time. And you have two wires or two pins on the chip and one pin that's the output. So if you put a signal on one of the pins, do you get a signal on the output? And you have to know what kind of a gate this is. When, when we say a gate, it's like a relay. It either turns on or off. And in this particular case, it's an AND gate. So if you put a signal in one side but not the other, you don't get one out. If you put a signal in the bottom one but not the top one, you still don't get a signal out. But if you put it in the top and, did you hear that? and in the bottom, then you get a signal out. So you'll only get a signal out if you've got an input on both of the input pins. That's an AND gate. We're going to talk about its cousin in a minute. And then we're going to figure out why these are valuable, or at least we're going to start figuring it out. But first, let's see if we can make it a little more complicated. Here you go. You've got to get a science live in there. Good. Now we've got three AND gates all connected together in another AND gate. So there's four of them here. So we've got uh, six different input pins. So we could put a signal on any one of these, and then the outputs, if, if all of them on this one have a signal, then they will output a signal. But you only get a signal out here at the end if you have a signal on all six inputs. So if you want an output, you'd have to have A and B and C and D and E and F that all have to have input signals. And remember, when I say input signal, I simply mean a voltage. Like if you hook a battery up to that one but not that one, then you wouldn't get a, a power out. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. 
Now, to figure out what we're going to do with these, let's look at this guy. This is a cousin. It's not an AND gate. It's an OR gate. And, yep, you've got it. If you have a signal in A or a signal in B, you'll get a signal out. Either one, either OR. So we call it an OR gate. Remember, in the AND gate, you have to have a signal in both. Now, what in the world would you do with this? Let's think of a real simple application. Let's suppose that a guy like Matthew Serden <laughs> wanted to build a burglar alarm for his house. And so he walked around his house, and he did a count. And he counted all the doors, and he counted all the windows in his futuristic, high-tech house. One window, two windows, and he found out windows and doors, there were six of them. And so he put a sensor on every window and on every door. So if anyone opened a door or anyone opened a window, it would send a signal into this little computer. Okay? And so when a burglar came and Matthew had this hooked up at his house, the burglar opened window A, which made a signal come in here. And since this is an AND gate, nothing happened. <laughs> because unless burglars simultaneously go in that window and 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 the door, all at exactly the same time, there'd be no signal. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is if you're hooking up a burglar alarm at your home, this may not be a good use of an AND gate, Matthew. Okay? Now, the OR gate, on the other hand, let's say we hook these in series like we did the AND gate, so we have six inputs. It turns out that if you have a signal on any input, then you'll get one on the OUT. So this is a two-channel or two-signal input, but you can have a four channel input or an eight channel input of an OR gate and what happens if any of those inputs get a signal then you get an output. So you can see how that would be more useful for a burglar alarm. <laughs> I think it would be good. Now coming back to the AND gate for a minute, where could that be useful? Well at the factory when we're manufacturing our gold book computers we have these machines that put parts on the circuit board and we have to put rills and things in place that have all these little capacitors and resistors on the rill. So we put all of those in place, and then we turn it on until it starts putting those parts on a circuit board. Well, what if one of the rolls is missing? We don't want it to start until it's got all the parts it needs. So we have a sensor on every roll to see if the roll's there. If we have one roll there, it won't go. If we have two, it won't go. It won't go until every single input has a roll of parts, then it will turn on. So this kind of a computer, and this is a very simple, logical, digital computer, would be very good for making sure we have all the parts in place. Now remember what I said in your cell phone, you have millions, some computers, even billions of these gates that are used and we get more and more and more clever what we can do with them. 
For example, on a display on your phone, you have all these little teeny pixels, these little teeny places where you can turn light on or off. And you use these gates to turn those on and off so that it looks like the picture you're trying to transmit. You use a camera to decide which pixels to turn on, translate it into electronic signals, send it over the internet, and then display it on your display. And that's how we get to sell us courses to everybody. How am I doing so far? You're doing fantastic. Okay, so this is called logic. And there's a lot more logic components. And we're going to be talking some more about them and how to use them. And they're very, very helpful. But did you know that not everyone is very logical? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, did you know that? Did I know that? Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. What are you implying? Well, I think, you know, we got a great clue from John, didn't we, on how to preserve food. But I think now from this logic discussion, we've got a great clue on how to study the origins of social instructors. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. We could actually study the logical behavior oh, goodness. to determine whether or not this is a humanoid or an android that looks like a humanoid. I guess that is a humanoid, isn't it? It's an android. Anyway, we could do that. We could. With your, with your things? Yeah, we could. So what we've done is we have contacted our incredible art department. We? Ryan. And we've asked him if he could please compile some of these logic gates into a frameable so that we would be able to draw some conclusions of what we're dealing with here and I think this would be a good time to share the new frameable. We do have a new frameable. And here it is. What do you think? Dun, dun, think da, dun. And there it is. Did you send the frameable to them? <laughs> Did you forget? <gasps> <laughs> time out. We're, we're going to need to. Did you read my send? And there it is. It's coming. And it's worth waiting for. What do you think? Yeah, as unpredictable as quantum logic. <laughs> now, you know about quantum logic, don't you? Like, where is an electron circulating around an atom? And scientists are saying they don't know, but they can guess where it probably is. And they're going a little further. They're saying where it is what its condition is depends on whether or not someone is looking. Are you looking? <laughs> when you look, it's like this. When you don't look, it's like, let's look. Okay, what do you think? Can we zoom in on this? I would really like to, oh, there, oh, now look at that. Don't go back up. I, see that shoulder pad? Whoa, 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 whoa. Down a little lower. See it right there on the shoulder pad? If you are very close to your screen and have excellent vision, you will notice the hidden image, that's a clue. That's a, that's a clue. <laughs> that's a clue. Okay, now let's go back up to the humanoid face. Yeah, what do you think, guys? I want you to know 
that I had some real good help this week with this. You uh, did. Yeah, actually this image went out to a very fine consulting group. <laughs> and, you know who you uh, are. <laughs> yeah, and I shipped it out to them. I said, hey, this is what we're thinking about using Science Live. And they came back to me and said, nope. <laughs> and the one that I sent them, the humanoid was turned to the side mm -hmm. and the hair was black. And they said, nope. <laughs> nope, nope. So I went nope. back to Ryan mm -hmm. and I said, Ryan, nope. <laughs> he said, nope. Yeah. So let's go down now to the logic. There it is. Okay. Can you see it? There's a driver on the left. Back over to the left. Oh, there it is. There's a driver and an inverter. Can you see those right at the left of the screen? The little circle means it's the signal, only it's the opposite. So on the top one, the driver, if there's a signal in, there will be a signal out, only it will be amplified. It will be stronger. On the second one, if there's a signal in, there won't be a signal out. And if there's not a signal in, then there will be a signal out. And that little circle means it flips it over like a minus sign. Okay? The next one is the AND gate we looked at. If A has a signal and B has a signal, then and only then will you get a signal out. And of course, the NAND gate is exactly the opposite. If you have a signal in both places, then you won't get a signal out. And if you don't have a signal in either place, then you do get a signal out. So it's inverted, and these things become very valuable. The next one is the OR gate. If you have a signal in A, you'll get a signal out. If you get a signal in B, A or B, you'll get a signal out. It's pretty neat. And the NOR gate means an uh, inverted OR gate, and it's exactly the opposite. If you have a signal in either one, then you don't get a signal out. And so you study these little uh, <clears throat> logics, and it may seem a little tricky, but each one gets kind of simple, and we're going to build some and do some things with them, and we're going to find out they're pretty interesting. What do you think? I think it's neat. All right. Do you want to see something that's really amazing? Mm-hmm. What if somebody invented an electric car? You say, well, they already did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did. But what if they invented an electric car that you don't have to ever plug in and recharge? Mm, that would be big. That would be really, really, really amazing. What would they call a car like that? I know. Double A. Double A. Would you like to see a video? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We would. That shows this? Mm-hmm. Double A. Did you find it in my vault? You have a vault. Mm -hmm. Do I have a vault? Do you have a vault? I have a vault. I have this little gold key vault, uh -huh. and if I want to show a video to someone, all I have to do is load it up in the... Science Live Vault, and then I have to tell the person that's <clears throat> going to help me out that I did put something there, so they'll be ready, uh -huh. which I may or may not have forgotten to do this time. <laughs> I love it. And that could be why I'm telling a little story. While we, are you ready to see this? A car, an electric car that does not ever require being 
plugged in to recharge. Do you want to see it? I do. All right, here it okay. is. At a million and one. Introducing the Mercedes AA class, the first fully electric luxury sedan powered entirely by AA batteries. No more plugs, no more charging stations, just 9,648 AA batteries. Zero emissions, lifetime drivetrain warranty, and a top speed of 52 miles per hour. Everything you've come to expect from Mercedes. Onboard satellite navigation, Bose stereo system, and ample trunk space to store extra batteries. And it is the only luxury sedan to receive the prestigious AA Plus grade from Batteries Magazine. The Mercedes AA also ranks best in class in safety, thanks to standard curtain airbags. A touchscreen in the center console keeps you constantly informed of each battery's power level. You'll know a battery's dying before it's dead. In three miles, replace, replace battery, battery 61, battery 9, You can replace them individually or all at once with the ribbon release auto dump feature. Class luxury sedan. Batteries not included. And so there you have it, huh? Wow. <laughs> the electric car that you do not ever have to recharge. Wow. Uh, and and by the way, that little clip was. Uh, compliments of uh, Saturday Night Live and they did not give me permission so thank you guys <laughs> but um, I, I really have to uh, say that's fun isn't it on a more serious note Mercedes-Benz has put out a very beautiful electric car and as you know they are uh, perhaps the world leader out of the automotive companies in production of hydrogen fuel cell cars, which is the, in my opinion, the ultimate electric car. And I, I wanted to just share with you uh, in conclusion tonight a little story, a true story about Mercedes-Benz. Uh, when they first came to visit my laboratory to see the hydrogen car, they had a lot of questions. I showed them the car, showed them the tank, showed them how I refueled it. I took them on a test drive, and they, uh, they seemed to like it. They wondered if I would be willing to work with them to see if this could be turned into a production car. And this was quite a few years before there were any production hydrogen cars like there are today. So I said, sure, and, and they left. Well, it was, I think, almost a year before I heard from them. And then one day they said, we're coming to see you again. And the same two engineers came. They were in suits, very handsome gentlemen. And they got to my laboratory. And one of them took off his coat, he had a tie, took off his coat, got on one of those little crawly carts that you go underneath a car to look underneath. And he went, I had one there, and he went sliding under the car. And I, what is he doing? And then he came out. 
And he said, I think it really does run on hydrogen. <laughs> yes. And he says, well, we've had a lot of problems with ours. Did you tell them how to fix and it? And then I realized <laughs> that I had done something terrible. When I was telling them exactly how to do it, I forgot to tell them a couple of the details. <laughs> And uh, I guess they found out that those details are important. And so we became good friends, and I did work with them. And uh, I, I'm thrilled about what Mercedes-Benz has done with hydrogen cars since. They invited me to go visit their factory in Germany. So I took a trip to Germany and went through their beautiful factory and uh, met several of their engineers. And then for lunch, they says, guess what? You're going to have lunch today with the vice president of research over Daimler, Daimler-Benz, which is Mercedes' name in Germany. Yeah. So I was excited. I went to lunch, and I sat down there with the director of research and the vice president of technology for Mercedes-Benz. And the vice president started talking to me. He says, as you probably know, we invented the hydrogen car. <laughs> And I thought, well, I hope the science fair judges don't figure that out. <laughs> and the director of research, actually, this is Roger Billings, and he's the guy that made the first hydrogen car. <laughs> and the vice president, I meant we were the first auto company. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. <laughs> but the hydrogen car is um, the original ones, the first one that I made, I actually burned hydrogen inside of a combustion engine. Remember, it pushed the piston down like burning gasoline does. But in, in my later prototype, we actually used a fuel cell to make electricity from hydrogen. And that made a car go three times as far with the same tank of gas. And the fuel cell cars that are being made today do that. They use hydrogen in the tank. They run it into a fuel cell. A fuel cell is kind of like a battery only instead of just holding energy, it reacts hydrogen and air and makes water and gives off electricity. And it can go much, 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 much farther than just a battery car. And so hydrogen fuel cells are, are neat things. And we kind of like the fact that they, they started out here. Uh, the first hydrogen fuel cell car, the first hydrogen car all go mm -hmm. back to us. And it's really kind of funny. Now, I'm going to say something that will scare the faint of heart. I'm not faint. This may even scare me a little bit. When Tobias was telling us about these two stories, you know, mm -hmm. the thing, and the, you know, that, those stories, did you hear him say, back in the 1940s, well, I was thinking, man, I was a long, and all of a sudden I thought, holy cow, I was born in the 40s. <laughs> that is really scary. That's not scary. Yeah, it is. That's scary? It is very scary. It means that I was there when they did that almost. Actually, I, I just arrived right at the tail end of the 40s. It was darn near the 50s. Perfectly on time. But it is fascinating 
to think what the world was like when I was growing up and going to school and how much it has changed and how each one of these innovators, each one of these inventioners found their little piece of technology that changed the world. And you know, uh, it's sometimes very hard to get the breakthrough you're looking for, but it's worth it. It is really, really, really worth it. Inventioneering is such an exciting field to be in. I mean, in today's world with amazing teaching technologies like Acellus, you could be anything. You could be android, humanoid, social, <laughs> well-behaved. Oh, am I that? Yes, I'm just saying you could be. I could be. <laughs> but inventioneering is where you take technologies, and like John taught us a technology, if you cool things to 32 degrees without expanding them with eyes, they will keep, and when they are ready to be used, they're still beautiful and fresh. That is a real opportunity. And I can make a prediction that someday we will know how to freeze food without destroying it with the formation of ice, just like he said. And maybe someone with us here today is going to be the one to figure that out. Like I said, all you've got to do is figure out how to make the coolant not freeze, but also not be poisonous. So it could be like delirium or something. Yeah. Kind of like that. But, but that's exciting, isn't it? I think it is. So Alexandra and I both agree and think the same. She says, you need a Nobel Prize for creating the hydrogen car. Don't you think so? <laughs> He's thinking about Actually, it. <laughs> um, this is something I don't say a lot, but I've been nominated twice. But I never won. And I think it's because they're not making enough hydrogen cars Anyway, you know, the, uh, one of the most exciting uh, inventions or technologies that I've ever worked on is a cellus. And it has had an impact, an exciting impact, on more wonderful people than anything else I've ever done. When we made the first uh, personal computer, uh, that was neat. But a cellus is really changing lives. And, by the way, uh, some of you parents that are, are hearing what we're saying today need to know that I really appreciate when you send me those reports about what Acellus is doing uh, for your family and for your students. It just means the world to me. Um, sometimes it's just a little bit painful, but I really need those reports when you tell me that we're not doing so well, too. Um, Parents, teachers, and even students send me messages about things that we could do better. And that is where we get many of the wonderful ideas that are making us sell us better and better and better and better. And we have so many things in the offing yeah. that we are adding to a sell us to make it better coming up soon. Uh, I, I like to talk about some of those things, but I found out if I talk about them, then people want them right now. That's how we are. Yes, you are. 
<laughs> but uh, I, I really do appreciate hearing how Acellus is, is helping many, many students. And I believe that the Acellus learning system is the most effective learning system that I've ever seen as far as helping students really achieve their learning goals and be able to achieve greatness. We have so many students that have graduated from our Acellus Academy and have gone on to so many colleges. Uh, we used to have in our parent support center these little flags from the universities that one of our graduates went to. And we have so many of them now, we ran out of space. It's really exciting. But we've recently been contacting our graduates to get a report on how they're doing in school. And our graduates are doing extremely, extremely well. I also had a visit by one of the military recruiters, regional director of education recruiting, and they told me that the Acellus graduates are scoring higher on their entrance exam than any other group they've ever seen. And that really excites me. Knowledge is the power to make things happen in your lives. And it just really doesn't matter what your career is going to be. Uh, the knowledge that you get will make it better. I was talking to a football player. And no, it wasn't Mahomes. Uh, you know Mahomes can hardly wait to meet me someday. <laughs> but first he has to hear about me. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But it was another football player, and he did happen to play for the Chiefs. And uh, he told me that uh, when he was young, he didn't think that he needed to study because he knew he was going to be a professional football player. So there's no reason to study. And he says, now, now I know. And, and he explained some of the uses of technology, and he's studying, making up for it by not doing it when he was younger. You know, one problem they have is just managing their money. You've got to be pretty smart and know how to do that. Better have a lot of math even to count, you know, the revenue. But technology and learning is going to empower you to do anything that you choose to do in life. And there are so many exciting things to do. Uh, the world uh, has a lot of wonderful technologies, but we have a lot of problems, and we have new ones cropping up every day. And it's going to be up to this new generation of inventioneers to make a difference. So study hard. Study as though your career depended on it. It does. What do you say to that? Yes. OK. Um, I could tell by the look in her eye, she'd like to look oh, at that frameable just one more time. Really? Can, can we bring that back up for just a quick peek? Yeah. As un, now, can we zoom right in? Yeah, we're zooming. Oops, on that, there she is. There she is. And so now the question that we're all asking ourselves, who is this person really? <laughs> Keep asking. <laughs> yeah. The new social, emotional, and physical education class is almost finished. And we have our tremendous problem creator here. We're excited <laughs> about that. Thank you. Is it going to be good? It is going to be good. All right, I've got it officially from a very good teacher. It's going to be good.
Thank you. We'll see you next time.